We are continuing our series of Sunday evening messages on evangelism, which I've titled Evangelism Episodes, just vignettes, if you will, primarily in the book of Acts, and this evening we're in Acts chapter 3. Before I went into the pastorate, nearly 40 years ago, I was a deacon here at Redbridge. Some of you possibly didn't know that, but I was a deacon here from 82 to 85 when I, just, just three or four, three, three to four years, and then I went to the ministry and to the pastorate. God had already begun dealing with me on that, but as a, uh, while a deacon here, Pastor Long taught the deacons, taught me something about pastoral ministry, which I still practice to this day and teach others. Namely, when you are in a desperate, when you're ministering in a desperate situation, a catastrophic car wreck, a, a uh, a few days uh, yet to live, whatever it might be. Uh, in fact, I just, I just dealt with that this afternoon. Received a text from a fellow pastor in, uh, in this area, in the, in the uh, Midwest area, who said he was told by hospice that he's down to a few days. And uh, I've known this pastor, uh, known uh, of him for about 35 to 40 years, and I said to him, well, if you make it home before I do, meaning if you, if you are in heaven before I take my last breath or the Lord raptures his church, I purpose to be faithful and continue to be faithful as you have been all these decades. And so when you are facing a catastrophic situation and you feel like you don't have answers or you're fearful of saying the wrong thing, which, I, let me let you in on uh, inside baseball, most of the time there are folks who say the wrong things. Kathy and I just encountered it this week with someone uh, who, who came up to her and meant well, but it could not have been more anguishing the way this person phrased something. I can remember uh, 30, <clears throat> 37 plus years ago, when uh, my nine-year-old sister was brain dead in uh, Children's Mercy Hospital, having been in the car wreck, her electroencephalogram was flat, and they, had, they were breathing for her. Her heart was still beating. Nine-year-old, she had a strong heart. And someone, a deacon at this church at that time, literally, and I quote, had they pulled the plug yet? I was so dumbfounded that I didn't even know what to say. And that person did not mean to be uh, obtuse, <laughs> uh, unkind, or any such thing, but just didn't know what to say and was not fearful of saying something wrong, apparently. When you face that, and you will in life, you can always offer hope. You can always offer hope. As long as God is on the throne and you have breath to speak, you can offer a word of hope to those no matter how desperate the situation in life is. Even if you were to say only that God's word says his grace is all sufficient. If you're dealing with an atheist who has days to live, that's fine. You can offer hope in that situation. 
If you're dealing with someone who's just had catastrophic loss and those people have already died, you can still offer hope. God still has you here. Let this not make you bitter, but make you better for the glory of God. You can always offer hope. Just look for that opportunity. You cannot go wrong. You will not say the wrong thing if you are offering hope in the midst of a catastrophic situation. That's what we find in our text today, this evening. If you would, look at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And a certain man, lame from his birth, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms, ask for a gift, of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms of them. And Peter, fasting his eyes upon him, with John said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. This evening's evangelistic episode deals with the issue of there being hope in the midst of profound difficulties. Now, to be sure, this is a physical illustration of a spiritual principle, and likely you see that. You see, the primary issue was not this man's infirmity, not his paralysis. Maybe he had spina bifida. He was lame. It didn't say he was, he was paralyzed, like Scripture does use that at times. So it was something that had... Uh, uh, profoundly severely affected his legs since birth. And so maybe we think of something along that line. But the fact of the matter is it had been decades. He's a grown man, and apparently he had been coming up to the temple gate, the gate beautiful, time and time, day after day, week after week, year after year, just simply not to get a healing, not to get better, simply to have enough money given to him so he could buy a little bit of food and then be carried back to wherever he was actually staying. He did have a physical need, but the primary emphasis was on the spiritual need of his life. Notice, God allows us to see a gospel message authenticated through physical healing, and that took place so much of the time in the book of Acts. Folks, parenthetically, if our charismatic Pentecostal signs and wonders friends had the stuff that they were peddling, if they had the evidence, this world would be transformed. Well, 
I, I take that back because Jesus said, even if someone one raised from the dead, people will not believe. So I'll retract that. The fact of the matter is, this is a New Testament miracle, what took place here. And so-called miracles in our day need to fit this pattern. And we'll get into that. And that's, and that's not the primary at all focus of this message. What am I saying? I'm saying most, if not all, of what you see in our day that's being uh, reported and purported as miracles is bogus. Too harsh? You see, either it's true or it's not true. Either it's real or it's not real. Either it's actual or it's and factual or it is not authentic. It can't be in the middle. You're not partially pregnant. Either are you aren't. Amen? So if that is what is going on according to the Word of God, then let's see the evidence. Look at chapter 4 and look what happens. Chapter 4 and verse 1. And as they spoke unto the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them, put them in custody until the next day, for it is now eventide, it is in the evening. And many of them who heard the word believed, and the number, number was about 5,000. Look at verse 16, saying, What shall we do to these men? That is Peter and John, for indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all those who dwell in Jerusalem. The entire city knew it, and we cannot deny it. That is a New Testament miracle. When everyone sees this, this is beyond reasonable possibility. This guy we saw day in, day out, crippled, paralyzed couldn't drug himself possibly by his arms. Uh, Better yet, everyone, uh, he had to be carried everywhere all the time. And now he is walking around, leaping up, saying that in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I am now standing and I'm a follower of him. Well, the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they couldn't have that. So somehow they were looking for a way to shut him up. The transforming power of the gospel. Let me give you some pointers on this uh, that it occurs to me this passage is housed within this passage. First of all, verses 1 through 3. We see that God creates the circumstances for an evangelistic empower. Folks, rest in that. It's not a coincidence. It's not because you engineered it. If it is a an evangelistic encounter, that is the gospel is actually going to be communicated, then he is going to create the circumstances. You've heard me allude to uh, Scott and Oksana's Oksana's parents uh, a few times and how my heart was burdened for their souls. I hadn't had opportunity uh, uh, because of language. I mean, I just couldn't speak to them. They couldn't speak to me. But through a translator, namely Oksana, my heart was burdened for their souls, not knowing what was going on with them, and they were going to be leaving. So I called and I said, can Kathy and I come over for the stated reason, not trying to get you in the rope-a-dope, not trying to uh, slip uh, 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 you a Mickey with the gospel or anything like that, for the stated reason of finding out what is the condition of your soul? And the answer was, yes, please come. God had to already be working in the heart because the, the the majority of people walking, lost people walking around on the street, let's be, let's be honest, would probably say, put you off, 
next Tuesday. Uh, maybe maybe when I, when I get back from vacation, well, we can, you know, have coffee. But God opened up the heart. It is his providence doing that. And so, therefore, I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to strategize or any such thing. He opens, he closes the doors according to his will. And so I want you, and I, I, even for myself, if I find myself trying to make something happen, I can be rest pretty much assured that this is not the path. God wants me to maybe possibly do that task, have that ministry, but not down this path if I'm trying to make it happen. So therefore, my calling, your calling, is to be faithful, not to try to produce something or make something happen. He <coughs> creates the circumstances. Now, how does he do it? Well, we see in verse 1, he directs his mission messengers to the mission field. Notice in verse 1, now Peter and John went up together into the temple in the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. He providentially directed them there. Maybe they'd seen this guy before. They weren't, they weren't strangers to the temple, to the likely to the gate called beautiful maybe they had encountered him before and but maybe they'd never dealt with him actually talked to him and engaged him and so they're making their way in and this guy hollers out to them and so the lord directed them to the mission at the precise timing at the actual time um, they were their paths intersected. Folks, you don't have to worry about missing the will of God in dealing with someone who's lost. Because if your heart is open and you are willing and burdened to share, he is going, he is pleased to open that door for you. Amen? So you don't have to make it happen. If you are yielded, he will make it happen. He will direct your path, as we quoted this morning from Proverbs chapter Three. Now, I can't be passive and late and sit back and say, okay, I'm just going to let go and let God know. No, he wants me very much on top of the situation with that fresh, hot heart for, for the gospel and praying uh, uh, and, and looking for that open door. But to be sure, if it's a gospel encounter, I don't have to worry about missing out. He is going to direct me to that mission field to share with that person. Secondly, he, and let, me, uh, let me pause. Uh, let me give you a practical example. Uh, just a practical example of point number one. Kathy and I, when we're out to eat, it is unusual if we don't ask this question. We're at a restaurant. Uh, we will ask the man or the woman who's taking care of us at the table. When the order's taken, maybe when the food is just about ready to get there, uh, and that person has a, has a moment. In other words, we look and we're sensitive to the dynamic of what's going on. We'll say something along the line of, thank you for providing this, serving us this. We're going to pray now and thank the Lord for the meal and the provision that he has given. Is there something in your life about which we can pray? We have never been shut out. Not one time has somebody said, Get out of here. I'm, not, I'm tired of that. I don't want to hear it. Uh, I hate you. I'm not going to serve it. No, no, no. You can see if there was any wall, if there was any lack of familiarity, it 
starts being dissolved right before your eyes. Now, some folks, although they're gracious and respectful and, and all, they don't engage us, uh, they, they, uh, uh, they don't want to be uh, drawn in, but most are very happy to share. And we are serious about interceding for David's mother who has cancer, for Sally's uh, husband who is an alcoholic, or whatever it might be. I mean, there are times that the, the person serving us stands there and pours out his or her heart. That's what I'm saying. You look for that encounter which God has... Pro- he directed us to that place. He allowed us to be at that table with that particular server. You all with me on that? So be cognizant of that type of thing. Secondly, he causes the lost to sense their own hopelessness and helplessness and the need for mercy. Well, it didn't take anything for this man. Obviously, he, physically, he needed mercy. It was so obvious to him, his physical paralysis... Um, couldn't get him anywhere. He had to have people carrying him there. But folks, it wasn't his primary need. It's an illustration. His inability physically was an illustration of his spiritual inability to have life. He could not enjoy physical life, which was illustrative of him not having spiritual life. You know, we think of a pallbearer as one who carries a casket. A dead, why? Because a dead person cannot get himself to the grave. So we have pallbearers who carry them. This, this man couldn't transport himself, and he couldn't even pay for transportation. He was at the mercy of others. Well, he could not save himself either. And, and Peter said, we don't have money, but what we have and what you really need, we're happy to give to you. And he gave him the power of the gospel. Folks, it's an act of mercy. It's an act of mercy. When the transforming power of the gospel is shared, that is a merciful act. And when it is received and and believed, and that life is transformed, um, profound mercy. This guy was in the gate called Beautiful. Why was it called beautiful? Because God's glory dwelt in the temple. And the psalmist knew that. In Psalm 27 in verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Solomon's temple, it's, it's reported and has been reported throughout time, was so magnificent, was so glorious, that it was beyond, really even beyond description. Uh, as Jerusalem sits on a hill and the temple was built there uh, and, it, and, and gold uh, and, and, and glistening in the sunlight and all, and you could see it for miles uh, and miles away. This man could have been in a worse place when he was begging. And what's more, he was begging at the place where people come to pray and to bring an offering. So their hearts were already in tune with what, um, with the, the things of God, it was a great place for a needy beggar because he, he was not. It was not a beggar begging from uh, begging from other beggars. It was a pauper asking of princes. But what was given him 
was not what he thought he needed, but was what God knew he ultimately needed, salvation in Christ. So he creates those circumstances uh, for us as we enter in uh, and, and minister to people. Secondly, God grants mercy to whom he chooses to grant mercy. Folks, uh, in 46 years of walking with the Lord, nearly coming up in a couple of months, more people have, been, have not responded to a gospel witness that I, that I have given than who have responded to a gospel witness. Did I say that correctly? More people have walked away not interested than have said, yes, I, I desire forgiveness and eternal life. Why is that? Well, it, it might be because God was not on them uh, in a save, it was saving faith. Uh, maybe they were rejecting me. But the sovereignty of God means that he can do as he pleases. And Scripture teaches with clarity that he has chosen, he has elected his own from eternity past. It wasn't that he saw how good of a catch you would be and said, okay, I want to get in on that. That's a pretty good deal. No, not at all. Not possible. You are chosen from the foundation of the world. You think, well, that means that God doesn't give everyone a free will, and it's not fair if he chooses one over another. Let me, let me frame it this way. Is God fair? No. God never says he is fair, because some of you enjoy better health than others. Some of you are much better looking than others, by the way. Some of you have more money than others in here. Some of you have better eyesight, better hearing, better physical uh, uh, capacities. Are you all with me there? We are not cookie-cutter people. God has never said, I am fair in the sense of doling out my goodies, my blessings to everyone in an absolutely equal way. No, he's never even intimated that he is, but he is just. In his justness, he can, because he's a judge, choose to opt for mercy. And aren't you thankful that he does? And he did in this case, in this situation, um, he wasn't obligated to heal this man. He certainly wasn't obligated to heal him and allow the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. This guy knew who Jesus Christ of Nazareth was. Uh, uh, it had just been a few weeks, a few months since the resurrection of Christ. Um, God was not obligated, but in his sovereign will, he allowed the gospel to come upon this man, and he believed. Think about it this way. You say, how do you know he believed? Because he reached out his hand. <laughs> Peter and John said, look on us. We've got something for you. What is it you have for me? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And if you'll notice, in verse... Um, Seven, and he took him by the right hand. What if that guy would have done this? And he didn't believe. Well, presumably, I mean, I think we can conclude there would not have been a healing, there would not have been a salvation. But he did say, yes, I need whatever you have. Save me, deliver me. And he was delivered. And so God chooses whom he will. But here is the motivating point for us. He looks to grant mercy. (laughs) 
It's not like God is saying, I have a storehouse of mercy, and I'm not letting any of it out. No, it's exactly the opposite of that. The same writer who penned the words of Acts, chapter 3 right here, is the one who recorded the words of Jesus in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke wrote both of those. And so he understood in a firsthand way that this man didn't deserve mercy, but God chose to grant it. And folks, as we witness to uh, people in the neighborhood, on the job, in our families, it very well could be that God is saying, I am looking to grant mercy, and I want you to be the conduit, the passageway through which my mercy flows to one in desperate need. You're offering a word of hope in a catastrophic situation. Catastrophic because that person's near hell from our perspective. Just one breath away from hell. And yet, he's looking to grant mercy. And we understand in verses 5 and 7, the lost need mercy. This guy needed mercy. He's illustrative of someone who needs a touch from heaven. So he gave heed unto them. He was going to get something. And Peter told him, I don't have silver and gold. See, he'd already told him, I'm not giving you money. Which takes him out of the realm of looking for what he thought he needed into the realm of, I'm going to trust you and the message that you're bringing. And so, God is wanting us, calling us, commanding us to deliver the gospel message. Of course, we know he's going to grant mercy to whom he chooses, takes all the pressure off me, takes all the pressure off you, and he is pleased to grant mercy. Maybe, in fact, he will use you to be the one who delivers that. Amen? He used Peter and John here. Can't he use you? Can he use you? Yes. Amen. And wants to use you. That's why you still have breath. That's why I still have breath to be able to communicate this message to a a man who didn't need a hand out. He needed a hand up for new life. And he received that by faith. And then thirdly, when God does a work, it's instantaneous and complete. It's instantaneous and complete. We see it right here in verse 8 through 10. Paralyzed his whole life. Couldn't do anything. Needed help for everything. And he received a touch from the Lord. A redeeming touch. And what he does, he does completely. In fact, Hebrews 7.25 says, God is able to save to the uttermost that come to God by him through Christ. He saves to the nth degree. In fact, he saves to such a degree that Paul told the Colossian believers, look, this is where you stand. You're complete in him. Nothing can, not only does not anything need to be added, nothing can be added. You cannot increase your justification. You can't be forgiven any more than you're forgiven. You can't be loved any more than you're loved. And, and we're communi- we communicate uh, that, that message to a desperate world who is empty, uh, who, who uh, uh, they are depressed, uh, they don't have hope, uh, they're facing uh, eternity, they're facing a catastrophic situation. We can give eternal hope. And we are the only ones who can give eternal hope to those who are 
hopeless. We meaning Bible-believing followers of Christ. We have the hope to be able to share with them. So, not only was the healing illustrative of salvation, not only was it instantaneous and complete, it had fruit. And that's how you know that it was genuine. I can't know someone's heart. People can go through the motions, and all the Pharisees uh, uh, did that. Others in the New Testament gone through the, going through the motions. But his reaction, leaping, walking, praising God, testifying. I don't know about all the theology that you Pharisees are talking about, and you Sadducees, but what I know is I believed in Christ. I reached out in faith, and look at me now. This is the real deal, he said. God changed me. He saved me. And my physical healing, instantaneous and complete, is evidence of that. <clears throat> Red Bridger, God will use you in his mission field right here in South Kansas City. And then, of course, in our day, uh, by way of Internet, he can use you and will use you anywhere. Um, it, it blows me away. It truly does. It, it, that's a vernacular, as you know. It amazes me beyond even description of the ways in our day that God will use any one of our lives, any one of our lives, uh, through Internet, through easy transportation, easy communication, uh, emails and texts and, and the like, and, and, and Zoom and FaceTime and all the rest, how you can be an evangelist. Really, right here, right now, uh, it's your, at your house. And for the cause of Christ, and it will be eternal. We'll see this guy in heaven. And my guess is he's going to be hanging with Peter and John. <laughs> they might be saying to him, shoo, shoo, we're busy. <laughs> no, being facetious. He calls us to tell people of their spiritual need and to say to them, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Have life, eternal life in him. This was an evangelistic episode. Ask the Lord to give you an episode. Think in your heart, who is it that I really already have I already have an open door. I have access. That person is within my sphere of communication. And then just start prayerfully dreaming. God, how will you make me a Peter and John to that paralyzed, dead soul with the gospel? He's happy to grant mercy. And he's pleased to use you as the conduit. So, in a fresh and a new way, avail yourself even right now. For how? He'll do it. And then watch. Watch, watch, watch. Is this it? God, are you doing here? Am I going to share with this one? Is this one going to get saved? And you're trusting him every step of the way. Wow. You can't lose. <laughs> because you're being faithful to him. Nothing required of you as far as to produce, make it happen. It's just a glorious calling that he's given us. May we be faithful. Uh, uh, as I told that pastor through a text today, if you make it home before I do, and unless I'm taken home in the next week or so, 
he will make it home before I do, they're telling him. Uh, I said, I'm going to purpose to remain faithful to the call, not only of the pastorate, and I want you to think that, but just as a follower of Christ, making a difference within how he has raised me up for his, uh, for his cause. May you also be that one. And any who are watching by way of internet, uh, in, in Turkey, in uh, Sierra Leone, uh, in Japan, in Bolivia, and folks, we have people listening from places in the world that you, you just, how did we get found there? You do that in your culture. You be that one in your village, in your town, in your ethnicity for the cause of Christ. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. What an invigorating text this is, followed by an invigorating song service. Lord, you will do something in and through our lives as we are yielded. Would you, even now, be doing that renewed transforming power in and through us, those of us who have already believed, but a transforming power to share the gospel with those around us, that you'd be glorified. Lives would be touched and saved for all eternity. And we'll thank you for how great and glorious you are, how kind, how merciful you are to lost sinners in bringing them to salvation. Use us, Lord, toward that end. In your glorious name we do pray.